turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23. It can be found on page 1829. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. When you tell someone to do something, they'll be less likely to do it. When you give someone three options, suddenly they, all they want is the one option that they can't have. We tend to dislike authority until we need it. Who do you go to for help and advice on which career to take? Who to date or to marry? How to organize your life? How to find your life's purpose? But in our age of podcasts, spirituality, schools of thought, who has the authority to speak on all the big matters of life? We're continuing our series, Confident Christianity, on the book of Colossians to learn how we can have unwavering confidence in Jesus Christ in the current waves of our culture, where perhaps our path to spiritual maturity can chop and change with the tides of our culture. And in today's passage, the answer that Paul gives to the question on who has the greatest authority to speak on all the big matters of life is Jesus. And I want you to know this is probably my favourite passage in the Bible because we see a big Jesus and it's a passage that every time I go to, uh, there's always something new that I learn about Jesus. Because what Paul does is that he will show us Jesus by taking us out of our seats, he'll lift us out into and beyond our stratosphere and into and beyond our galaxy to see the universe's deep reality. To see the universe's deep reality that Jesus is Lord of all of it. The entire cosmos. And when we see Jesus entirely for who he truly is, we're going to be overwhelmed and we're going to be astonished. See, whenever astronauts go into orbit for the first time, they experience a similar sensation. It's the so-called overview effect. 
When you're able to see the whole earth at a glance, everything changes. The fragility of life on this pale blue dot is intensified. National boundaries are no longer seemed that significant. And our petty concerns, they're, well, they're just dissolved by a galactic perspective. It is said to be truly overwhelming. And anyone who reads and absorbs this passage can gain something even more remarkable. What we'll gain is Jesus' overview of effect. Because when we see clearly that Jesus is Lord of everything, nothing is more authoritative than Jesus, and nothing can ever be the same again. Because it's in these magnificent and beautiful verses we first see that Jesus is Lord over all of creation. And we read this in verse 15. Verse 15, look at it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How do we know God? We know God by knowing Jesus, because he is the image of the invisible God. You might have heard someone describe, maybe perhaps you, as a spitting image of your dad. Is that the case for you? You might have heard the term, well, Jesus is the spitting image of God the Father. Except, Paul is not saying Jesus looks like the Father. Jesus is the perfect and exact image and representation of God the Father. In what ways is Jesus exactly like God? Well, Jesus is exactly like God because he's the ruler and creator of all things. Paul says he's the firstborn over all creation. The title firstborn can be used to refer to being either the first created or it can actually refer to being first in rank. So you can be firstborn as in first created or first in rank. And here it's about being first in rank, being the first in line to be the inheritor of a family's wealth. And so here Jesus is first in rank because he's not created, he eternally existed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus here is first in line as the heir and the supreme ruler of all creation. Why is that? Well, because he made it all. All things have been created through him and for him, we read. Jesus owns all things and rules over all things because he created all things. Theologian Abraham Kuyper's famous quote is, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, My. There's not a square inch in this church, on Darling Street, in Sydney, in this planet, in our galaxy, not a square inch by which Jesus Christ says, My. When something is created, it belongs to the creator. It exists for the creator. It is the possession of the creator. It is designed and purpose for the creator. And this is the overwhelming mindship that happens when we see the cosmic reality of Jesus. Everything. 
literally everything from every atom, every molecule, every strand of DNA to every star, every Milky Way, every galaxy and everything in between, including you and I, have been created in Jesus, through Jesus and for Jesus. I just wanted to just stop there and just let that stun us for a bit. Everything, including you and I, have been created in Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. With that cosmic reality that everything has been created not for its own end, but for Jesus, let that sink in for a few more moments. You are not here on earth for you, but for Jesus. Just stop and take a step back and let this sink in. You were not created to live an autonomous life. You were created in Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. He is your creator, and you are his creation. If Jesus was just a spiritual guru, a great thought leader or a teacher, then there would be limits on his rights over you. But because he's God, ruler and creator, then you cannot relate to him and hold on to anything in your life that's a non-negotiable. Imagine you had a dear friend who was dying of a rare, rare disease, and you bring this friend to a doctor. He's the most preeminent doctor around in this rare disease, world-class, the most authoritative expert in this disease. And he tells your friend, you'll be dead in a week, but I can cure you. But I want you to know, if, you give, if I give you the remedy, there's just one little thing that will keep you alive for the rest of your life. And that's this one thing, is that you cannot eat chocolate ever again. Well, you're excited. You turn to your friend, this is great. How amazing is this? And your friend says, no chocolate? Nah, no way. Forget about it. What would you say to your friend? You would say, you are crazy. But this is how crazy we can be when we tell Jesus, Lord, not that. Don't touch that. That's okay. Look, I'll hold on to that. Don't touch my relationships. Don't bother with my finances. Don't mess with my time, energy, devotion, my priorities. I'll be fine. Forget about it. That's the crazy talk that we can have to Jesus, who's not the preeminent and supreme physician of life. He's the preeminent and creator of life. In a recent interview, Jimmy Kimmel asked Kanye West, he says, do you feel born again? Do you consider yourself to be a Christian music artist now? Kanye says, well, you thought about it. And his response was, well, I'm a Christian everything. Can you also say that? That I'm a Christian everything because in all things Jesus is Lord. Because you see, when Jesus comes down into your life, it will mean that everything must have his supremacy. In everything in your life, he must have lordship. For he's the designer and architect of your life. Because if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I'm pretty sure that was a, a Puritan quote, but 
It's great. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. But if you let Jesus as Lord of all sink in, once you just get past that shock reality that you are not created for your own end, when you truly understand what is being said here, then knowing Jesus as your Lord should be an amazing relief, not a dull and boring restriction. Because knowing Jesus as your Lord should be an amazing relief and not an awful restriction in life because it means that we don't ever need to look to anywhere else for meaning, purpose and fulfilment in life. And since Jesus is our creator, God, he knows how best to fix us. And we don't need to go through anyone else or through anything else to know our creator, God. It should be an amazing relief that our creator God has been made himself known to us in Jesus, who is the exact and perfect image of God. Which then begs the question, if all of creation is his, then why does he doesn't do something about everything that has gone so badly wrong in this world? Well, Paul has an answer to this. Verse 18. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he have, might have supremacy. Paul now goes on to say that Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. Jesus has come to fix all the things that is wrong in creation by creating a new creation, which is the church. Now, it seems like an anticlimax, doesn't it? Because today in our culture... Many see the church as nothing more than a stuffy, outdated institution. But the church, seen from a cosmic perspective, is nothing to feel embarrassed about. For Jesus doesn't feel embarrassed about the church. He identifies very closely with his church. In fact, he says he's the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church because he's the firstborn among the dead. And we saw this word firstborn in verse 15. But Paul goes which means first in rank, and here it means the same thing. But Paul is now saying Jesus is the firstborn to bring about a new age. He's the death and resurrection so that he can be the new age of life after that death so that those who have faith in Jesus' death and resurrection enter into a new age, become a new humanity, which is the church. And in this way, Jesus is supreme in everything. Jesus is not only Lord over the creation in this age, he is also the ruler and Lord of the new creation into the new age, so that in everything, Jesus is supreme from this age to the next. How did Jesus become the founder of this new resurrection life? How did he conquer death? Well, the answer is in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God was pleased. He was delighted for his fullness, all of who he is to take residence in Jesus. This is the clearest description of Jesus being fully God. Paul intentionally uses the word fullness as a bit of a dig against the Gnostic mystics. The Gnostic mystics at the time spoke of the need for additional spiritual mediators who would help bring the fullness of God's wisdom and love and power through different mediums together to bring God's fullness to sinful people. 
But Paul directly challenges that thinking and saying that the fullness of God's wisdom, power, and love has already come to sinful people by God himself coming down in Jesus. This would have blown up the Gnostic beliefs because the Gnostics believed that the material world and the body was completely evil so that there is no way that a holy God would ever dwell in an evil body. But Paul says, nope, that's wrong. Paul says God was pleased. God didn't shun the human body. God didn't begrudgingly dwell in Jesus. No, God was very happy to come in the man, Jesus. Because God created the body and he's very pleased to embrace the reality of having a body for himself. I mean, you could even just stop there and ponder that further. That God was so pleased that he would himself have a human physical body. And we're going to meet Jesus in physical bodily form. But God's purpose in becoming fully human goes far beyond proving that bodies aren't so bad. Becoming human was fundamental for God to reconcile all things to himself. Jesus, who's the perfect representation of God, became a man so that he could be the perfect representation for us and be the only one who could reconcile us back to God by his bloody and violent death on the cross. Now, when, Je- when it says Jesus will reconcile all things to himself, is it saying that everyone will ultimately be reconciled and be saved by Jesus? The answer is yes and no. I'll explain. The scope of reconciliation is at a cosmic scale. It's all things in the earthly realm, all things in the spiritual realm, invisible, visible, being reconciled under the lordship of Christ to bring about a peaceful order to all of creation. All things that are corrupt and decaying in the material and spiritual world will be restored and renewed under the peaceful lordship of Christ. Now, in regards to people, to have peace, all people will receive Jesus as Lord. But some will receive Jesus willingly as Lord and others will receive Jesus as Lord unwillingly. Paul says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. Notice the words every, all, every person will either bow down to Jesus as Lord willingly or bow down to Jesus unwillingly. Jesus will make peace through salvation for those who willingly receive Jesus as Lord or Jesus will make peace through subjugation for those who unwillingly receive Jesus as Lord. Jesus will bring justice and peace on earth by bringing reconciling judgment, subjugating all things that rebel against God, But because Jesus loves us, he offers us the opportunity to receive reconciling forgiveness, saving those who repent and surrender to God. Both are reconciliation, to bring peaceful order to creation, that creation is crying out for, but only some will be saved for those who willingly receive Jesus as Lord. And look what happens at those who receive Jesus 
willingly as Lord. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What's wrong with our world is that we are enemies of God. We become enemies of God when our sinful hearts consistently choose to live independently and autonomously from our Creator. One theologian calls it cosmic treason. It's declaring war on God. The problem then is that everyone plays the same game and the results are horrendous. When everyone is asserting their independence and supremacy over everyone else, people will get hurt. There will be no peace between us and God and between each other with sin in humanity's heart. The only way to have peace is when the offence, the rebellion, the sin is dealt with. The wage for sin is death, so God sends his son Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, to reconcile us enemies to God by going to the cross to take the penalty of our sin. And this morning I was really struck about our nature as enemies before God. I was at Ben and Alina's, I'm going off script a bit because I've been struck by that word, enemies before God. I was at Ben and Alina's party and we're talking to a few other Christians from other churches and we're saying, oh, what's it like to be Christians as 30-year-olds versus Christians when we were 20-year-olds? And I think back and go, when my youthful days, Yahweh was very overtly rebellious before God. But I think about it, I think we're more sinful than we were, even though I look back and I was probably more foolish and overtly rebellious than I ever am now today. But I look back in my life and I think about how sinful and how rebellious we can be. I think our sinfulness is more worse because we may not be overtly rebellious like young teenagers, but our rebellion is in more covert forms. And I think about the war analogy, and I think the most deadly impact and maneuvers in wars is not so much the overt soldiers, but it's those covert spies that infiltrate and jeopardize and attack the enemy in disguises. And I'm really struck that our rebellion continues perhaps in more covert forms. And so we could be enemies and have a rebellious heart with disguises, disguised in perhaps our busyness, disguised perhaps in our tiredness, disguised as a parent, disguised as what strikes your heart at the moment. If in war our co- the most covert ways can cause most damage, how much more in our covert ways do we rebel against God? Yet Jesus goes and takes the penalty of our sin. Hands up if you would die for a family. We've got a few. Hands up if you would die for an enemy. It's one thing to love those who love you. It's another thing to love those who hate you and rebel against you. At the cross, we see God love those who hate him overtly or covertly. And that is why Jesus is supreme over salvation. 
There is no other mediator who is fully God and fully man. There is no other mediator who dies for God's enemies and recreates them to be God's family, holy, without blemish, free from accusation before God. And so if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you don't belong to Jesus, this is where you give your sin and you receive your salvation and as a result, God has peace with you. If you're here today and you're struck by your covert ways, this is where you also give your sin to Jesus. You are confirmed and encouraged by the salvation, by grace, and God has peace with you. Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the Lord of new creation. Therefore, build your life on the only true and supreme Lord. Don't move from the Lord of all. And that is what Paul finally says in verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, established, firm, do not move, do not shift. These are all building languages. To continue to grow in the Christian faith, we are not to build our life deviating from Jesus Christ, the master designer, the chief architect of our new reconciled life with God. If we build our life on the firm foundations of the gospel, then our life won't shift, it won't tilt, it won't be in danger of cracking and collapsing like the dodgy work done at the Opal Tower. But if our life is deeply rooted and founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have stability. We're going to be able to stand against the strong winds of false teaching. We're going to be able to wear all kinds of storms and trials in our life. I think almost everyone here has flown on a plane. No one's scared of uh, heights, are they? I'm pretty sure everyone's flown a plane. So we've all sat through the opening safety instructions. Almost everyone does not pay attention to these instructions. I try to sleep and avoid eye contact. That's my strategy. What's yours? And we all know that we need to put our masks before assisting others. Nothing new is ever said. Sometimes I saw one airline do like cute little animations, but nothing new is ever said. Mostly we don't pay attention because we actually don't think it matters. We actually think we'll arrive safely at our destination. We never ever think the plane will ever crash. This whole experience of listening to flight attendants is actually very eerily similar to church for many of us. We've heard the gospel a hundred times before. It's not that exciting because nothing new is ever said. And we don't really think we'll ever drift away and fall from the faith. But most people drift away not because they meant to, but because they got busy. They got lazy. They got distracted. They got caught up with new ways of doing this and doing that. They got a mortgage. They got some illnesses. And before you know what, what was happening is that the word of God is being choked out by the worries of life. Why does this happen? I think many people drift from God because he seems so small and ordinary. They float away from the gospel because it seems dreadfully boring. They move away from Jesus because like the flight attendant instructions, it seems lifeless, passionless, inconsequential. 
But this passage shows us that Jesus is not small and ordinary. This passage shows us that the gospel gives us a great cosmic salvation. We are at the pinnacle of the resurrection of the new heavens and the new earth. We stand at the top of God's new creation. That's how cosmic it is. Because the whole entire cosmos is going to be renewed and we are the shining stars of that galactic renewal. That's who we are. That's who we are as the church. I mentioned before that these are the most magnificent and beautiful verses because it reads like a hymn. It's a song. Because when Paul writes about the truth of the supremacy of Jesus, he can't help but write with life, energy, and passion. He can't help when he pens the truth about Jesus, he's drawn into worship. How do we not move away from the gospel? We need to see who Jesus really is. And the only way to see him properly is to be lifted from our chairs, to leave the stratosphere, go beyond earth, beyond our Milky Way galaxy, and as you look forward into infinity beyond, and then you turn back and look back into infinity and beyond, and what you see is that Jesus is Lord of all. And you're going to be overwhelmed in worship. Overwhelmed in worship. And when you see Jesus like that, your eyes will be fixated to Jesus. And you're not going to be tempted to look anywhere else because there is just still so much more to see and know about Jesus, who is the Lord of all. I want to pray and I'm going to lead us and be lifted off our seats. Our Father God, your Son is most worthy of our adoration, affection and allegiance. Because of your son, we don't have to guess what you are like. And he's not just a creator. He's the heir of everything. And so we're so thankful that he loves your church than we could ever imagine. We thank you so much that you hold us so dearly that we would be the pinnacle of your new creation. And as surely justified her... He will beautify her. So not let us not only love you, but let us love the church. Let us love one another because Jesus loves his church. And forgive us in all the ways we rebel against you. By your spirit and word, help us to surrender to your good and sovereign will. In Christ, all things broken will become all things new. All concophony will give away to eternal symphony. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In graceful, mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.